Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris, of course. And of course, uh, happy National Book Month. Happy National Book Month, Ian and Nick. Uh, this is a this must be a big month for us. Like we're a book podcast. Like clearly <laughs> yeah. we have thought a lot about this. Right. And we we're national. Got each other gifts, obviously. Yep. And we're national. Yep. This is what it's all about. <laughs> it's our Christmas. It's oh, like yeah. our Christmas. Yeah. Well, to celebrate this domestic book month, we are, of course, going to uh turn back time and mm-hmm. uh look at some of the previous National Book Award winners. And yeah. so celebrate to, the same that we, that we do every year. Yeah. Just by turning back time. Yep. With share. Going back in time in a time machine, interrupting time machine, the time yeah. paradox, yeah. interrupting the space time continuum. <sighs> Were you going anywhere Good. with that, Joe? Nope. No, 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 no. You're just going to list some, some uh, synonyms for going back in time. It's a classic, classic Joe bit. DeLorean. I was thinking of, I was thinking of, you know. Different time travel movies. Like a synonym master to help us explore history. Our two (laughs) high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. I'm Joe Holshue. And this week, I would like to invite you to jump in the time machine with me all the way back to a simpler time. 2013, when George Packer wrote (laughs) The Unwinding, um, which is pretty much a book about how America had been getting worse for like 40 years at that point. But it's a really good book. Yeah, it's a really good book. I'll be the judge of that. Hey, Joe, is this going to follow rule number four, No Downers? Um, It is going to not follow. It is going to break rule number four, No Uh Downers. This book book really breaks bummed me out like it bums me out just thinking about it right now yeah joe do you have any other uh teasers that you could uh get anybody to turn off the episode (laughs) right now (laughs) save them some time who are you alienating this week uh yeah i'm alienating fans of the new yorker uh as it is written by george packer longtime staff writer for the new yorker really well written book here's the thing the book isn't a downer it just explains why the world that we live in is a downer. So mm. don't turn off the podcast to escape it because it's it's just out there <laughs> you for can. you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you can't turn you it can't off. Escape it if you if you turn this off and turn around. It's just <laughs> it's more of the thing. You. Yeah, you don't can't. look out the window. In fact, <laughs> well, lovely heads. Joe, there, there heads. is no escape. Perfect. Lit heads. Well, no, no, Nick, Nick, yes. you're missing an opportunity here. Yeah, oh. lit heads. There is an escape. Oh, not escape. Is clicking like and subscribe. Yeah. When you don't know that podcast.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Submit a book and tell a friend. That's that's yep. that's our message of hope. That's where it's at. Ian, please. Hello, it's me, <laughs> Dr. Ian DeYoung. Uh in my for my day job, I'm a high school English teacher, and on the side, I'm a big bad voodoo daddy. And wow. today, if you're looking for a national book award winner, look no further than the year 2019. I brought the Another Yellow throwback. House. I know. The Yellow House, Sarah M. Broom's poignant memoir about family, home, and the inevitable decay caused by time. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. (laughs) (laughs) 
were you planning on calling yourself a big bad voodoo daddy or was that like spur of the moment was that I absolutely was to the extent that i went ahead and wikipedia the band <laughs> big bad voodoo daddy to make sure they haven't been like racists or nazis right. or something I search right. things constantly just to ensure <laughs> that um, they're not uh, canceled, racists, uh, terrible, terrible humans. N- Nick's main job on this show is real-time damage control. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny enough, real-time damage control comes up in my book. Oh, there you go. Okay, so yours kind of sounds like a downer too, Ian. Oh, uh, it's not. It's not. It's oh. really not a downer. Uh. It's It's got a lot of – okay, here's the thing. My book has a lot of sad stuff in it. But it is not a downer about that sad stuff. You know, it's possible to like talk about about sad stuff in a way that emphasizes how how much of a big bummer they are. And it's, mm-hmm. you can also talk about sad stuff in a way that's like, yeah, like life is hard, but there's hope and there's beauty and it balances. This is a book of balance. This is not a downer. Yeah. Sometimes it's tough to be really positive. Like, you know, nothing's going to yeah. get me down because then you hear some stories where it's like, Jesus, that's really <laughs> what that, that's really that's a real a downer. You're not going to be positive. There's no way. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and this, fair. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll save it for my turn. But yes, you're absolutely right that, that they're like there is such a thing as I think toxic negativity, of course, but there's also like positivity that just it's it's delusional. It doesn't like it's yeah. not possible. Like toxic positivity. Yeah. I saw an Instagram post about this. Oh, really? <laughs> Speaking of uh, current terms, Joe, Mm -hmm. Joseph, yes, uh, you're back to school. I am back to school. I know Ian is too, but yes, I'm not addressing him right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any fun new terms from the youths? Yeah. uh, So it it was homecoming last weekend for our students at Mm. uh, the high school at which I teach. And one student was explaining to me that he said, Mr. Holshue, you should have seen me this weekend. I was so drippy. I was drowning. Oh, now, have God. we talked about drip on this before or no? I've never heard of drippy. You've never heard of drippy? Oh, wow. See, no. sometimes I don't realize how just with it I no. am, oh, right? How gross, how just up face. to my neck in youth culture I am. Gross. Ian, you, of course, know what it means to oh, be drippy. Wish I didn't. Drippy sounds like you, you spill too much ranch dressing on your shirt. And it's just dripping down. That is down. what it sounds like, yes. Um, no. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like the thing that always happens to all of us all the time. And we're just eating a big sandwich with full of ranch dressing. And it just <laughs> <laughs> the ranch dressing kind of spews out the edge of the hoagie bun and just drips all over your shirt. Yeah. Hate that. Right. What the lidheads might not know is in Wisconsin, when uh, you like have condiments at the restaurant, it's like salt, pepper, ketchup, and then of course the bottle of ranch dressing. Um, I don't, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know. Uh, Are we just going to start lying to the lids about Wisconsin now? <laughs> In Wisconsin, there's golden apples. And yeah, I also, dust. we're looking past the fact that probably a large swath of our audience is from Wisconsin. <laughs> we, but we do have a very large <laughs> listener base in Wisconsin. Any, anyway, Joe, tell uh, us about Drippy. In Wisconsin, we always go along with each other's bits. <laughs> so, Ian, uh, I'm sorry, Ian and Nick. Ian, you know this, but Nick, Nick, to, being Drippy is good. Like, you it sounds like to it, be yeah. Drippy. Yeah, no, you want to be drippy. Okay. You want to be so drippy you are drowning. Wow. Um, I guess based on that context, based on this student saying, Mr. Holshue, you should have seen me and the crew, me and the gang, me, me and the boys. We were so drippy, we were drowning. Now, what, what? are they What are they dripping with? What are you- I told you it's ranch dressing. Sexiness? Because you want to you wanna be sexy at the dance, right? Yeah. But I mean, not too sexy. That's, that's what I always want when I go to a dance. It's the first thing yeah. out of my mouth. I ask okay. everyone, hey, yeah. excuse me, I'm Ian. 
high school English teacher. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Joe, please just fucking tell us what drifting means. Is there a definition? A high school English teacher. Is this an appropriate amount of buttons to have on the God. What do you think of the gold chain around my neck? Is it dripping? Have you seen my chest hairs? <laughs> Ian, or uh, Ian, you know this, Nick. Uh, to be drippy is to be like maybe swagged out. It's to be like really looking good, having some like nice clothes on, maybe some really good looking sneakers on, uh, maybe some expensive stuff. But if you are drippy, you just, you look good. Like you look good clothing wise. Yeah, also probably wise. face wise, probably like maybe like hair wise or hair accessories. Cut, yeah, but yeah, 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 probably a watch, a nice watch, like a big pocket watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome everybody. Welcome lit heads to you don't know lit a weekly or as we call it strongly podcast. <laughs> don't your guys stupid. Nick, did that segment go the way you wanted it to? Yeah, it dragged on. <laughs> Exactly how I thought it would. <laughs> thank you for that, Joe. Um, thank you for keeping us abreast of the uh, sexy, sexy youth that you guys teach. <laughs> I'm so focused. I am locked in. Okay, I'm locked good. and loaded. Locked, locked stock. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Keep going. Barrel. Okay, thank locked, you, Joe. Locked, stock, and smoking barrel, I was going to say. The pauses in between Nick. each words are just insurmountable. Um <laughs> Uh, please, <laughs> I have rules for you. <laughs> We're going to start with rule number two, omit needless words, Joe, but I'm actually going to mod that this week. Omit needless pauses as well <laughs> in between your words. Uh, Nick, I do it for emphasis. I speak in front of a, okay, yep, fine. There I it is. Noted. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers, preferably non-gentlemen. Mm-hmm. I like to keep it fresh when I get into these books. <laughs> <laughs> rule number four, no downers. <laughs> and rule number three, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Very good. Um, uh, Ian, I'm sorry, Joseph, I always just say yes. your name's always the wrong way. Uh, mm-hmm. Joseph, do you want to take 30 seconds? Yeah, no, um, Joe Joe can't take 30 seconds for that. I need to take wait, 10 seconds wait, to I, share some shadow rules. Nick, oh, you God. thought you could cut that off at the pass, but those are not needless <laughs> words. These are basically the only thing standing between us and chaos. These are unsanctioned. I will talk the way speed I want. I don't need, I don't insert needless pauses <laughs> anyway, like Joe for you to insert. The shadow <laughs> rules <laughs> are as follows, litheads. You know how they go. Say them with me. Drip, 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 drip. Oh, God. <laughs> drip, drip, drip. Chinese water torture. Uh, Nick. I've got a big idea for you. The inarguable thesis of my book is that over the last few decades, all across America, our norms, practices, and communities have become undone. The Unwinding, written in 2013 by New Yorker staff writer George Packer, speaking of Vince Lombardi, 434 pages, (laughs) follows... No relation to the NFL team, of course. (laughs) Follows all kinds of Americans from the most powerful and successful to some of the most downtrodden and unfortunate and shows that the level playing field, if there ever was one, is gone now. Starting in 1973, going to 2012, Packer convincingly argues that the corrosion, blah, 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 blah. Basically, things are snowballing into a shitstorm. I get it. Snowballing into a shitstorm is what I wanted to get to. Nothing's fair. Ian, your turn. Classic Joe. How do you resurrect? How do you resurrect a house with words? Sarah Broom comes from a huge, sprawling family. In the 1970s, they bought a house in New Orleans East, and Sarah grew up there. 
Her book, The Yellow House, is the story of that house. It's the story of the family that lived in that house. It's the story of New Orleans itself through tragedy and rebuilding. It's about what she calls the psychic cost of defining oneself by the place where you are from. 384 pages, published in 2019, has pictures. Oh, I love it. I'm glad I didn't cut you off because you're both over your time. Um, uh, both uh, two nonfictions today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so the National Book Award, uh, Nick, as you know, and as the Litheads know, but I will tell Ian here, comes in uh, all sorts of different varieties. So there's a fiction not National Book Award, a nonfiction National Book Award, um, others, I presume. Uh, and we chose this week to read nonfiction the past winners. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how I would have known that, Joe, especially since I was looking at the website last week and, and doing my right, research right, there. Right. So thank you for clarifying. I really appreciate that. Litheads, no Litheads, let us know. What do you prefer, fiction or nonfiction that we talk about here? I think I know the answer to that. I, I, oh, okay. I suspect, Great. I suspect I know the answer, and I don't think it'll match what Joe wants the answer to be. Oh, uh, maybe not. Oh, maybe well, not. I was addressing the Litheads, not either of you, but thank you for, <laughs> for your opinions, of which this show doesn't have enough of. <laughs> anyway, um, boy, these belts sound pretty good. I kind of want Joe to start um, for no particular reason, uh, because that's that's how we do it. Because it's show. Well, cause, no cause particular you're reason. You're the boss. You get to choose. Yeah, I'm the boss. This is my. Uh, there are four universe. rules to this show. There are three shadow rules, but the only rule that reigns every week is Nick does what he mm-hmm. wants. <laughs> yep. Uh, so so Nick. Yeah. Ian, um, I want to talk to you about my book, The Unwinding. Uh, two two. Written in 2013, 434 pages. Kind of a beefy book. Took me a while to get through this week. But, um, okay, do you know how sometimes you notice that something's wrong or you'll be reading reading the news or listening to, I don't know, your your, your favorite podcast and they talk about like these don't know problems. And yeah, you don't know. They talk about these problems throughout American history and you hear like these terms. You hear like deindustrialization or the privatization of education or like the military industrial complex. Or, That's a big one. Uh, what, the military People industrial complex. People are always complex. yelling yeah. about the military mm-hmm. industrial complex and I always think yeah, it's I mean, like, like um, – a, a post new wave punk band or something. It probably is. It's a good name. Um, big, big money politics, big money politics, housing bubbles, right? Like all this stuff. Like yeah. you hear these things that are talked about in negative ways and like you, you don't like them and you get angry about them and they seem unjust, but it's also kind of hard to see maybe how they connect to one another or Joe, what the root causes are. Are these new words for old things? Well, no, some of them are old words for old things uh, because my book goes back. It starts in 1973. Okay. And it it goes linearly. So from 1973 to the year 2012 is the last year that it covers. And it jumps in like maybe like five, seven, eight year time, time chunks here. And it basically gives you a snapshot of America in all of those years up until 2012 and follows a handful of characters, um, some that you've heard of and many that you haven't, as their quality of life decreases oh, in this country Wait, for the most Is this part. just like your death book, except for instead of people dying, they're sort of... The, yeah, this time the thing that's dying is the nation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Joe, why do you fun. keep bringing these books? I don't I don't try. These yeah, are winners. Well, these are winners. We've established that. Um, these are books worth reading. So, Joseph... Are these people uh, of celebrity or these are uh, nobody, nobody trash people? Okay, so super good question. <laughs> the two kinds of people. 
<laughs> celebrities, <laughs> celebrities, and, and trash. Nobody trash. <laughs> this book is incredibly readable, and it's because of this. That's good. Each chapter is devoted to either a person or a place, right? And a lot of those chapters, talking about celebrities, are devoted to a chapter. Like, it is a 10, 12, 15-page profile of Oprah Winfrey <laughs> or oh. Sam Walton or Peter Thiel, uh, founder of PayPal and uh, early investor in like like tech billionaire, uh, Newt Gingrich, Raymond Carver, Colin Powell, Jay-Z, Andrew Breitbart. I think that's how you say mm. it, Breitbart. Uh, um, Elizabeth Warren, right? Like you get these one, like one-off chapters following these celebrities, but interspersed with those chapters are one-off chapters that kind of build on each other that are about um, Silicon Valley, Wall Street, or Tampa, Florida. (laughs) Three wonderful places. (laughs) The most wonderful place of all. Um, And then, sorry, the the final layer of this book is interspersed with those and the closest thing that we have to a cohesive narrative through here, it follows three totally normal people. Um, one guy named Jeff uh, Confton, a second guy named Dean Price, and a third uh, woman named Tammy Thomas. It <laughs> picks up all of their stories as they're relatively young. They do sound like fake names. Sorry. They do. They, they do. They are all real people. It picks up their stories when they're relatively young, and it follows all of their lives and career paths into 2012. Hmm. I have tons of questions. Are you ready yeah. for them? I, yeah, whatever. Okay, good. Um, okay, so are these uh, how how break me off one chapter of a, a famous person? So Oprah, is, is it this, like a tell-all? Um, yeah, is this uh, how are, are these people involved in the writing of the book? Is this like a they had a personal exchange, so the author and them, or is this just kind of an outside perspective on their life? Almost none of the uh, almost none of the famous people were involved in the writing of the book. Uh, I think the only exception to that is Peter Thiel. Okay, uh, follow up question. Had some what's what's your yes. author's name? Vince 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 Packers. Did Vince Packers did Vince Packers hide in the bushes and just stalk these famous people? No. Uh, unclear. He doesn't get into it. But but the, when he writes the profiles of the famous people. Uh, so for example, like when he writes the profile of Sam Walton. Uh, if if you've read Sam Walton's autobiography, Made in America, you'll recognize a lot of his story, right? Like like it's kind of uh, kind of Wikipedia e, right? Like talking about like their rise to power, the things that okay. make them famous, why people like them, etc. Yeah, things like th- he's done his journalistic research in the case of most of these famous people. Yeah, so so, um, so lean in. Why don't you give me a little bit more of uh, one of these examples? So. Um, pretty digestible i would assume as far as like you can just read a chapter and get a glimpse but like what what are you learning in these things just about just their careers is it very kind of superficial like that okay and i say superficial not in a bad way right this book i guess to understand any individual chapter in this book you have to kind of get the arc of the book and the arc i think i can do it in a single sentence and that's wow yeah i think i can get the arc like the thesis in a single sentence Since 
1973. Keep track here, Ian. Yeah. And Joe, before you finish, when you say a sentence, I'm expecting a grammatically correct sentence. So if this is a run on, I'll be looking out for semicolons. Yeah. If if you try and shoehorn some extra clauses in here. Well, could I use like dashes? I'm cutting you off. Positive phrases. All right. Since 1973, comma. Read the grammar. <laughs> Joe, can you, can you actually like uh, send us a, a, di- a diagram of this sentence in the chat? <laughs> Do you have? Uh, well, I, I have things to say about sentence diagramming someday, but today story. is not the day. When yes. I was on the farm, we had to diagram sentences of the cows. <laughs> Since 1973, uh, the middle class in the country has been under attack. That's maybe a little bit. Mm, a little bit like militaristic to say it, but since 1973, the middle class of this country has been essentially like the marrow has been sucked out of them as all of the wealth in the center of this country has gone to elites, has gone to Wall Street, has gone to Silicon Valley and has increasingly left middle America and gone to the coasts. Yeah. Okay, so that's not like a new narrative, right? So no, um, no. But that's the arc. That's the overarching arc, as they say. Yeah. Can you say overarching arc? Is that repetitive? It's, I think it's. it's I think that's maybe redundant. I might just say arc. Is he saying that none of us who live not on the coast are powerful, influential, important? Is he dissing us? I specifically garbage trash people. Well, um, no, he's not saying like, in fact, like a lot of the people, the main people that he follows. So like those three characters, Tammy Thomas, Dean Price and Jeff Conifton, they are from middle America, you know, all kind of different parts of middle America, from middle America, Um, Mordor. No, what? (laughs) No, they're not from the Mordor. They're from the Shire. They're the heroes, right? Like they Mm. are from middle America and like they are all doing their very small part to fight power. Yeah, it's good. Hobbit facts. Hobbits are small. Uh, They're all doing their part to like fight the power, (laughs) like to, to make their communities, to make their lives, to make their little section of America a better place. I recently rewatched Do the Right Thing. Speaking of fight the power. Uh, mm-hmm. that movie that aged well, I like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. I think the last time I watched it was like in eighth grade. Cause I don't know. The teacher was sick or something. You guys would know a lot about that. <laughs> Lazy pieces of shit. But. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the just press play lesson. Plan. Hey Joe, I really, I, yes. I'm, I'm a little bit confused about this. So can you clarify yeah. whether or not these three people, John Smith, Tammy Smith, and Patrick Smith have hairy feet. <laughs> Green Bay Packers. Do they have? Do they have hairy feet? I, it doesn't specifically <laughs> talk about anybody's feet, except Ian for Tammy the questions. The Bush question. Now the hairy feet Thank question. You. I am just. I, really I will step back. Ian has got it from here. <laughs> no, really good stuff. Okay, we get we get the premise. You've set that up quite nicely. Thank you so much. No problem. So here here's here's a question for you, and it's going to be a tough one. Um, things are getting worse. We've we've established that at um, almost every level, both through personal stories and through uh, personal stories of everyday people and personal stories of um, superior celebrities. That's what, right. Those who are better. What? What's the point? Is it, does the book just end and you, you make up your own story? Is it just the things to observe and take in and be aware of? Or what, is there a, um, 
kind of a, a thesis being proved here or just facts being proved? What the fuck yeah. is the point of your book? What's the overt message? <laughs> What's the overt message? Right. Please. Yeah. When, when he puts these stories forward, there's not like he is really absent as a writer. Like right. he just presents the profile. Like he just throws it out there. He's like, hey, journalistic. Let me tell you about Oprah Winfrey. In Let theory. me tell you this new thing about Jeff. Let me tell you about Tammy Thomas. Um, and he he really leaves you to make your own decision. And when I'm reading about this book, because as you know, the first thing we do is read these books. And the second thing we do is read about these books. When I'm reading about these books, I was really surprised because a lot of people say, well, it paints kind of a dismal picture, but it really ends on a hopeful note. Like it paints kind of a, a, a rosy or, or a, a, a dire picture, but it ends sure. on a hopeful note saying like, like the stuff that's good, you know, um, to quote Bill Clinton, you know, what's wrong with America can be fixed by what's right with America. That's not a direct quote, I don't think, but th- wow. that's the what idea. A, what a politician. I love those, love those classic Bill Clinton quotes. <laughs> a Bill, quick follow-up <laughs> question. Can you be more specific? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Um, can, Joe, can you be more specific? <laughs> yes, I, I, I can be a little bit more specific. So these people, they're, they're like, hey, well, it ends on this hopeful note. Ends on this hopeful note, right? Like it's totally journalistic. He's detached, but obviously he chooses the order in which this story is told. And in the end, you have these three Americans, these three normal people like fighting the power and standing up to, you know, like what is bad in this country and what is like hollowing out this country from the inside. But that wasn't really my reading of it. Like, I thought it was a little more hopeless than that. And, oh. and keep in mind, I'm the optimistic one on uh, this show, right? Are. Ian is the uh, Debbie Downer. We're, we're, we're switching it okay. up this week. It does seem a bit strange that the the takeaway you, you're saying in theory should be here's 300 plus pages of sheer downerness, but the ending is hopeful. So why is the ending hopeful? Okay, so people say the ending's hopeful because like you have these three characters that it follows throughout from the 70s and they, they like really have tough lives. Like all of them go through major personal setbacks because of, you know, big quotes, the establishment, and that could be big money, that can be politics, whatever. They all go through major, maybe life-ruining setbacks. Um, so, for example, uh, the Dean Price, he is an entrepreneur when he's young. He starts a chain of gas stations, like a chain of truck stops and gas stations. He starts putting fast food franchises by them, and he becomes kind of wealthy as a kind of young man. He's crazy leveraged, right? Like he has a lot of debt, but like he becomes like wealthy. As gas prices start to rise, this is, um, oh, when was that? Do you remember when gas prices got like crazy for a while? Like $5 a gallon? Yeah, it was, it was around, it was around the time the book was published, I think. I I think Ian's right. That's when it was like, yeah, five bucks. Uh, 2010s, let's just say around there. He gets he gets uh, super into biodiesel, right? He starts like buying these machines that can manufacture diesel. He's like really gets on this clean energy push. And this is re- like a genuine grassroots movement, a grassroots movement in the middle of America. Like he is selling biodiesel to truckers and farmers and like really kind of doing some good things for his community. Hmm. Um, you know, one of his big pushes, he said, well, look, where I live, you can't talk about global warming because people don't believe in global warming. He said, he said, but you, when you tell people that, Hey, for every dollar that you spend on biodiesel, 90 cents of it stays in the community versus for every dollar that you spend on regular diesel, 90 cents of it goes out of the community, like goes to the coast. (laughs) Is his pocket the community? 
<laughs> well, his pocket and the people that he employs and all these things. Well, Dean Price is kind of through a series of unfortunate events, totally ruined, right? Like loses all of his gas stations, has to declare bankruptcy, all of this. But like this book ends, like Dean Price's story arc ends with him coming with coming up with a new entrepreneurial venture. So here's this guy who's had everything who lost everything and who's coming back. And like the, the, a lot of people read this book and they say, well, there, that's hopeful. Like, look, Dean Price, he still has the grit and the can do attitude that made this country great. Huh? Is this book entertaining? This book is incredibly readable and I looked forward to picking it up every day. Um, this is one of the longer books I've read lately. It was something like 450 pages, 430 pages. That's worth writing uh, which about. Is, that's, a, that's a beefy book, right? <laughs> um, but I had no trouble getting through it this week and prepping for the podcast, right? Like I, it's, it's an easy book to read. You dip into it, you hang out with Tammy Thomas or Sam Walton or Oprah Winfrey or Jay-Z for a little bit and then dip back out. Like it's, it's a, it's a fun book to read. Yeah. So do these stories connect at all at some point? Does, does, does Samuel L. Jackson come in and say something about the Avengers initiative? Right. Thank you, Ian. Yeah. Like to some, to some characters like show up in other people's stories. Um, almost never. Like almost never. The stories are almost all totally isolated. The only thing that they have in Oprah common is Oprah goes to a Packer exist. game, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, Oprah, Oprah's a big Vince Lombardi fan. No, the only thing that they have in common is that they exist in the same in the same universe. <laughs> in that they're all real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like okay. in the same kind of dystopia in this case. So <laughs> they're all building uh, the larger story, but they're just, they're not. Yeah, it's good. Right, is there anything else to talk about on this book, this book, Joe? Tell me about the author. Yeah, well, I have nothing to say about the author. Staff writer for the New Yorker wrote, wrote a, writes a bunch of articles. Really this is the part writer, where this is the part where Nick asks for more information and Joe says no, <laughs> no, I won't be <laughs> well, saying yeah. that. I want to talk about the celebrity chapters just a little bit because salacious. Yeah, when you so when you read this book, you get kind of this thing where it's like you get a chapter. And it's doubter. And then you get another chapter and it's a doubter. And you think, Jesus, doesn't anything good happen in this country? Right. And then a chapter comes up and it's like Oprah Winfrey. And you're like, oh, <laughs> Oprah, her life is great. <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> right. And then the chapter talks about Oprah's like upbringing in a poor family, right? Like it talks about her like rise to fame. It talks about how she really got popular based on the things that we value, right? Hard work and seizing her opportunities and all this stuff. But then it kind of goes on to talk about her wealth, like what, like what she's actually done as, and I've never thought of Oprah like this before, but Nick, do you remember when we talked about the alchemist, mm. how we really like hated it because basically the thesis of the alchemist was, Hey, if you want something, you just really got to want it. Yes. I remember our only anti-book recommendation. (laughs) So that's kind of his Oprah recommendation. That's kind of his take on Oprah as he says, look, she's built this empire by like putting herself up front as the model by talking about like, look, I got here because like, I really wanted it. And I really like worked hard to get here and you can get here too. But of course the problem with that, just like the alchemist is if you're a big Oprah fan (laughs) and you're not where she is, or you're not too happy with your life. Well, there's only one place to look for that. There's only one place to blame for that. 
Can I? Uh, okay, so I'm reading tons of one-star reviews. I'm not going to read you any of them because they're all quite coherent. Um, <laughs> too bad. Um, and that's just no fun. So, uh, I, But I have a question. The general thesis for these is there's no point. Like, there's no action item. There's no, like, overarching thesis. But I, may I say this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a journalist isn't that kind of refreshing? Right. Like, here are these right. stories. You fucking paint the picture. Yeah. It, you I could interpret this to be a positive way or a negative way, and that's what, I may I say, good journalism should be. Yeah. <laughs> this At book some level? is this book is not heavy-handed, right? Like, this book is never him saying, like, I am going to rub your nose in what I think, and here's 450 pages mm-hmm. to support it. Mm-hmm. He basically says, here's 450 pages, that a factual pages <laughs> you figure it out <laughs> like about the human condition about how this life has changed in this country since 1973 mm, right yeah sure what do you, what do you think right like, that's kind of what it is hey what do you think this is how these people's lives has changed and a lot of that is obviously anecdotal evidence like it is told through profiles of these you know sounds a, like a dozen individuals almost entirely anecdotal yeah, yeah, like it's entirely like well, and engaging and stories. Considering and none, like none of these sources are primary. <laughs> <laughs> what are does he have any relationship to those three people? No, to the three people, yes. Oh, yes, he does. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Yep, to the three people he knows. I didn't he, know if they had their own Wikipedia page. That yeah. he, <laughs> are there three people that he just they're they're actually him? Oh, right. Mm. Like, is it a is it a triumvirate like, sort of thing? Hello, uh, for for this for for these ten years of my life, I'm going to refer to myself as Tammy. And for these, I'm mm-hmm. Frank right. Paxton. I'm Vince yeah. Lombardi. Right. Real father-son, Holy Spirit situation, right? Um, Interesting. We, Good connection, Joe. Th- thank, thank you. Thank you, Nick. Um, I am just so impressed by you guys today. I love this toxic positivity. I believe these are three <laughs> unique people. I don't know. <laughs> toxic positivity. Theme. Write it down. Not only, not only is it National Book Month, a very important month of the year, mm-hmm. but it's also LGBTQ Month, History Month. So, give me them books. Give me them books. Give me Those them LGBTQ books. LGBTQ history books. Yes, I would like some does books it, to oh, help. Wait, me under- does it have to be a history book of LGBTQ, or no, can that's it be a good like- question? Can it, it like have like the experience? Can it just like like show like the lens of an LGBTQ character, or maybe talk about the experience, or maybe there's just like an LGBTQ character like doing their own thing, and it's not like yeah, about that. not about it at all. Why does it have to be right. about it? Uh, yeah, all of those things, Joe. It doesn't have to recap the history uh, of it, uh, uh, right? But thank you for that question. So, do you have any books like that? I would Got like it. to bring uh, this this podcast's favorite genre which is baroque eclogues <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what that is uh, one of my favorites <laughs> I, I only sort of know one of those two words <laughs> one of my one of my favorite poems is wh auden who's gay i would like to uh I, i've never really read one of his long poems and this is a great a great reason to force myself to read it which i might not do otherwise so i'm going to read wh auden's uh Long poem, The Age of Anxiety, which was adapted into, uh, well, it won the Pulitzer Prize, adapted into a bunch of stuff. And then Pete Townsend uh, published his first novel in 2019, taking this title. 
I didn't realize it was Rock and Roll Week as well. Um, I'm I'm gonna bring a book that I've I know absolutely nothing about except that it's really popular and shows up on a ton of LGBTQ plus lists. Um, it is, of course, the Madeline Miller's Song of Achilles. I don't know why I said, of course. I, I don't know if you could have predicted that, but I'm super super looking forward to this Song of Achilles. Ian. What's up? Can I help you, sir? You can help me with a book recommendation. Yeah. For one. Let me um let me start with a story. Oh. A story from well, not the farm. A story from the beach. Um, I have great grandparents, as a lot of people do, um, had. They've passed away. Uh their name that was uh, they were the Itners. And they The what? Th- their name was Itner. The Itners? Itner. It's Itner. It's a Itner. it's a German the name. And the Edners bought some land, a uh, little little lot of land for pretty cheap in the town of Ludington, Michigan. Uh, Ludington is one of those kind of it's it's on the it's on the the pinky side of the of the mitten. Um, so the Michigan mitten, hold your hand up, your left hand up in front of you. That's kind of where your pinky joints would be. Um, it's wait, Michigan has a mitten. Wisconsin's a mitten. Well, Michigan's the other half. Uh, Michi- Michigan's like the number one mitten, dude. Anyway, let's let's, let's not let's not get Hold sidetracked on. into into state geography let's here. Get sidetracked. This is not state Google geography maps. with Ian and Nick and Joe. Um, so they bought this <laughs> land in Ludington, and uh, they saw an ad in um, like the paper or something, and or a magazine. They bought it for cheap. This is in the 1950s, and they never went to live there, but they owned this lot of land. They they lived in in, in Illinois, southern Illinois. They li- owned this land, and they would visit it every now and again. When they would go up, it's it's a several hours' drive up to Ludington. They would just go and visit it, and this was their land. It was kind of like they were never really well-to-do enough to have a vacation home, but this is kind of... Kind of something along they those lines. They chiseled out a corner of the earth and called it home. Well, kind of. Absolutely. I mean, they didn't call it home. They staked their claim. But they did own it. And there, there's something to owning it. Um, over time, uh, property taxes increased. And in order to cover those taxes, because as I mentioned, they weren't super well-to-do, they sold off little slivers of the land. And so now uh, um, there's, there, is, uh, there is a little kind of narrow strip. It's a few feet wide that remains. And... As the strip has, as the land has dwindled, so has the family. So um, as a family name, it's the, the name Itner is going to die out in a generation or less. So kind of as the land has contracted, so has the family dwindled. And like I, I hey, carry Ian, on. This sounds, this sounds like quite a metaphor. Like, like this sounds like there's a one-to-one correlation between this family and this piece well, of land. It's, I mean, and, and hope we're not secretly learning anything <laughs> in my, in my, um, in my classes, I tell students that correlation is not the same as causation. So we can't say that there is a magic yeah, in this land job. and as the land is sold off the ma- <laughs> the family. Yeah. We can't say that, but I think it's really fascinating that, that, um, there's, that there's kind of this experience where the, the, the land was a hopeful spot. It was an aspirational spot, and then it's 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 subsided, it's dwindled, it's disappeared, and so has the family. Um, the reason I bring this story up is because this book that I read for today charts a similar curve, but one that's, I think, a lot more poignant. As I mentioned, it's about a family, um, kind of charts, it, it tells their story, their growth. Um, it's the, the, the matriarch. The mother of the author, uh, her name is Ivory May, and she's kind of the center. She's the matriarch at the center of the story. She wants to own a home 
Uh, she and her her second husband uh, buy this home. They kind of have this high point of their family as a community. And then the house starts to break down. The house starts to decay. And the family starts to fragment. So, you know, kids move away. Uh, relationships are broken. Um, one one of the sons gets addicted to cocaine and heroin and steals. Jesus, like, I thought Joe uh, Joe's book was <laughs> going to be a, a downer. <laughs> See? Keep, keep going, Ian. It's a trend. Although you do have an opportunity in front of you, Ian. Yeah, Joe's no, book ends with no glimmer of hope. <laughs> I know. So I know. you you could still, you know. I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, it, uh, we we got to go. We got to go a little bit farther down before we can come back up. So you, he has to go through the valley of the shadow. Beat us down exactly. first. Okay. That's right. And then the dawn will be so much sweeter. It will. Yes. So so the uh, the home is breaking down and um like various tragedies have happened. People have died in the house and stuff and. No one's no one's really proud of this place. And then Hurricane Katrina happens. Um, and there are all these kind of ripple effects from that tragedy uh, on the family and obviously on the property. Um, I'm not going to spoil it, but kind of what happens to the property is is part of this. I think part of the power of this story is how well Broom navigates the central question of memoir. And I think the central question of memoir is, why do I care? Mm-hmm. Is that a question for us or the? Yeah, like, 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 why does she get to write a book? Like, why yeah, should we yeah. care about? Like, like, why should I? Why should I spend my time on this? And for me, the answer is because I said I would bring it to the podcast. But, but for a lot of right. like a lot of memoirists, I think it's hey, like not not everybody has a podcast. Like, like right. not everybody's exactly. as fortunate as we are, guys. Right. Let's take let's take this National Book Review Month to count our blessings and uh, count the podcast among them. Count sorry, count yeah. the podcasts that we have. I have one. I have this one. Um, so. Like if if it's a celebrity, right? We 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 read a celebrity's memoir because maybe they'll say some juicy things about the one time they were um, misogynist in their convertible in Los Angeles. Um, or if it's a, that's an Alex Trebek dig. If uh, the author is like a, a well-known author or somebody who's like really good at writing memoirs already, we're like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll read your thing. But the question, like, why do I? This is Broom's first book. Why do I care? And she answers it really well. She believes that the story of her family and their yellow house is worth telling because it has some degree of universality. And pretty quickly into the book, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm on on, on board with this. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. It's 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 Can a bold I- gambit. It's like it's like it's like it's like inviting someone into your home and they're like, hello, I would like to spend 384 pages telling you uh, about like the details of my growing up. And a lot of times, like mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, we groan. We're like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. but not here. These books are incredibly similar. It's, it's, it's surprising. It's almost like the National Book Awards give the same sort of, are looking for the same sort of thing. Right. The same sort of consideration, <laughs> right? The same sort of bias. Um, <laughs> but I, I think maybe the people, it sounds like the people at National Book Awards are really cruising for a bruise. And <laughs> they're like, what can I read to bum me out? Well, okay, yeah. maybe. Winner. Maybe. But, but Joe, your, maybe, book, Joe. your book has the scope, the scale of America. My book, yeah, my, my book is on the one hand, it is addressing humanity as, as a whole, but it's also like it's it's kind of focused on this is our family. And she acknowledges over and over they're very unique and and the stuff that happens to them is is kind of part of who they are. And the implication is, yes, every family, every kind of every kind of um, large clan of people has their complex 
contradictory, difficult family history, but there's there's something in common. So she's not trying to say things about America. She's trying to say things about them and their experiences. I love this book, and I was really, re- I, 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 I am struggling. I'm struggling to put into words, and I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. It's hard to put this into mm. words because it's so personal. It's Somebody's entire life. So, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and she cuts out plenty. There are whole sections where she just like, yeah, I went to college, and, and we're not going to talk about that because like, I was in college for four years. Like, That's not the point. Yeah. Sorry. I, I will say, uh, I will say, Nick, that the more that you love a book, the harder yeah, it is to bring to this podcast. It there's it's like it's a weird paradox, but that is absolutely true. If you're looking for special consideration just because you love the book, Ian and Joe, you will not find it <laughs> no, here. No, no, I'm just well, and I don't. It's not even because Nick's going to shit on this book for 20 minutes. Like that's not what it is. It's like I love this book, and I cannot do it anything approaching justice in 20 minutes. So Ian, I I totally feel that's for a you. given. Yeah. That's a given. Okay. So is the point to just understand this family that's really relatable and to hold on, just fucking hold on. I'm holding. I'm and holding. then to um all right, what am I gonna learn about myself? Right. Cause I now I know because this is about me. It's like you it's like you finish the book and you're like, okay, that's nice. Now I, I really understand the broom family really well. What what else? Yes. <laughs> I think I think and their fading yellow house. <laughs> I think does the, it get into how it started as a bright yellow and now it's just a, a mellow yellow? Uh, no, it does. Ooh. It does get into how it started off as green and they put they put yellow siding on and eventually the siding came off and it looks it looked gross. Um, part of this mm. is she is demystifying New Orleans and part of this is she is demystifying or sort of undermining so kind of your classic story. Stories. There are a lot of classic stories that kind of have this generational sweep and the old home place. And th- there are a lot of simple narratives that I think can come in memoirs. Uh, I- I've had a hard life, but my growing up years were the best of all. There are no like perfectly happy like moments gathered around the TV in the family room. And there are no like absolute unmitigated catastrophes. There are no like evil uncles and you know, heart of gold cousins. There's not a single message, an overt message. It's just no drama. I, no, there's there's a lot of drama. But so, so I mentioned I mentioned that the guy who gets uh, addicted to drugs. Uh, that's like you might you might be reading that and be like, oh, okay, like this is our bad guy. Like he's the one who represents like familial breakdown and collapse. But then later in the book, he gets clean, and she spends like one of the most wholesome like. One of the most wholesome passages of the book is her staying at his house. She's her, he, he's her brother. Um, she stays at her, his house and he has five kids and um, they're just totally happy. And he is like in control of himself and his kids love and respect him. And so like all of the negative things that kind of stack up, she takes care to say, yes, but he doesn't like remain there. One of her, one of her, nephews goes to prison he's the same age as her because she's the youngest of 11 kids one of her nephews goes to prison and you might be like oh like prison that's i mean that's that's a pretty tragic ending for him but she describes these letters they send back and forth and how his like writing to her is poetic and beautiful and they have this bond it's 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 a strange long distance sweet bond um there's just she 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 doesn't let you kind of settle into those familiar like oh and then Everything is bad and America is out to get you. It's like, yeah, here's this bad okay. thing. So it's not cliche. It's 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 like the least it's the least 
the least cliche book. Absolutely. It's complex. It's complex. It's a, ta- it's a, it's a tapestry. Ian, is it a tapestry? I would, Ian, I would say, is this a tapestry? I would say it's more than a tapestry because a tapestry is kind of two dimensional. I'll just say it's a tapestry. No, it's a sculpture. No, no. It's a sculpture because it's multidimensional. Wow. But yes. A beautifully nuanced sculpture. Uh-huh. Yeah. With one of those Greek penises. Um, so <laughs> wow. let me ask you, yeah. um, uh, and you know, and it's just, just a book about some people and, we all have stories, Ian. What am I getting yeah. out of this? Yeah. Um, I think is, that- is this, should this have been a New York Times article on Sunday, <laughs> in the Sunday paper? Well, <laughs> should it have been a blog much post? Like, much like Vince Lombardi, uh, she's a journalist too. So um, she works, she, she actually works. She write, she write good. She works for yeah. the the O magazine. She she was a journalist for the uh, for Oprah's magazine. Um, so yes. <gasps> I, have a, I have a new opinion of Oprah and it's not Uh-oh. good, guys. I used to, I used to be indifferent to Oprah, but now I'm slightly okay. negative after well, reading. Your uh, time is over, Joe. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think, okay, so, so, and, hey, well, hold on, hold on now, hold on. Joe, do you have one negative thing to say about Oprah you'd like to share with us quickly? Uh, yes. Oh, uh, give me a second. Let me think. Let me think. She introduced Dr. Phil to the world. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Okay, moving on. So, Ian, and? Yes. She's a great writer. She's a journalist. Yes. Why is this a story worth telling? It is it is an almost a theoretical reflection on home, on the home place. Mm. She has this idea that that we we allow ourselves to be shaped by the place that we consider to be home. We allow ourselves to be restricted or constrained when we when we say that is my home that does something to us which is kind of the opposite of of freeing it's kind of it's kind of walling walling you off and so when the home place collapses as it does in her story or when you notice the cracks in the home that does something to you and it's hard to put what that is into words on the one hand we, we, she says, we build ourselves into the home so that the home becomes us. Like the home, the place itself is not necessarily the source of the joy. The source of the joy that we have in our home is the memories we have, the beauty of certain elements, physical or, or relational. The home, we become the home. And when the home physically starts to fall or when our relationships with our families, we discover like, Oh, like they're not as on board with this as I am, or, or they believe this way or, or, or they behaved in this way. Then the cracks in the home kind of become cracks in us. And so I think the, the, the end of this Nick is that none of us can have perfect homes. And this book is an extended coping with a home that is both deeply part of her and deeply flawed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, what you're saying, she turns this home into a metaphor, right? And then anytime you have this as a metaphor, like you can't help but notice the metaphor, like the resemblances, right? Oh, it's cracked. The paint is peeling. Right. right? Um, I, I had this a little bit. My wife and I had this little house that we bought for no money when we first got married. And we we spent the first well five years of our marriage like totally gutting it, like rebuilding it from scratch. And 
in my heart, I didn't realize it at the time, but it really turned into like this little metaphor for our relationship, yeah. this yep. metaphor for our marriage, right? It was something built, that we together. built together yes. and like this, absolutely, right? Um, well, then we sold that house. We lived in it for 10 years and we sold it. And I could not believe how sad yeah. it yeah. made me to sell that house. I would have never guessed I would be that kind of person, but it, it absolutely crushed mm-hmm. me to sell that. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. Michigan is a mitten. <laughs> it's got Wisconsin and Michigan. It's like it's like the United States has two left hands. Look at this. This is unbelievable. Wisconsin is more of a fist than a mitten. Anyway. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't disagree more. What are you talking about? Joe, Green Bay is, is a thumb. Joe. I think it's, I hold up my hand when I, when I tell people where I live. I hold up my right hand and I say, this, is the, this peninsula is Door County and I live mm-hmm. right here. Yeah, very, so very odd. Hand. I think you both are way off base on this. This is not the well, point. It sounds like some sort of weird Southwest bias. Ian lives in a place where all the states are squares. He can't really identify. Mm, it sounds like it's been a while. So, so we've got the home, the physical home, <laughs> but we've also got like her home, her hometown, her home base. So she lives in New Orleans, but she doesn't live in like, I mean, when, you, when we say New Orleans, we think of like Mardi Gras and beignets, Nolens. coffee in the French Quarter, Nolens. history, yeah. jazz, jazz and such. Lots of we are tourists. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. We we are in our minds. New Orleans is tourism. She doesn't live in New Orleans. She lives in a place called New Orleans East, which is east of downtown in the French Quarter. And it's this big area that in the seventies, they uh, a couple of Texan billionaires were going to try and develop it into this big residential area and they tried her family moved there and then over the next 40 years more 35 years more or less the promises did not come true and by the end of the book there is one house in that whole neighborhood that is still a residential house everything else has reverted to junkyards and industrial plants and trash heaps and it's like turned into kind of this that's that sounds like my book <laughs> right so 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 she's like she's talking about this and she's talking about it with this this incredible like distance she's not like 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 joe like your book she's not kind of preaching like and this is why capitalism is bad if you want to read between the lines you can see her bias sure but she's not sending an overt message and that means she is able to dwell on the beauty of the neighborhood even when a transient guy kind of starts squatting in the brick house across the street and starts getting violent. She doesn't represent this as like big, scary homeless man and we have to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's irony, there's humor to it. And she manages to tell the, of the of the kind of disintegration of her neighborhood, another form of home, in a way that is ironic, wry, and not completely miserable. But like when you look closely at, at your community, when you see the injustice in your community, you see bad responses to COVID or cruelty to transient people or injustice, um, housing, like housing corruption that's everywhere. When you do this, you realize, hey, my community, my hometown is not as pristine as I thought. And this, again, this is something everything goes, everyone goes through and she negotiates it. She copes with it. Uh, so who should read this book? Uh, I think the first the first answer to this question is anyone, anyone who thinks they know what New Orleans is about. I know a lot of people who are like, New Orleans, yeah, love the gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like all the tourists. And like she and it's amazing. She lives in the French Quarter for a while in this book. And so like and she talks about like the cool stuff. There's a there's a musician, a street musician who sits underneath her balcony 
And she talks about this person with kind of fondness. Um, she talks about some of the street performers that she gets to know. There's there's beauty here. But really, the if you think you know, if you think you know uh, New Orleans, if you've seen media, there's an HBO show called Treem um, or Trema or something about New Orleans. Like if you think you know it, read this book because I guarantee you don't. She knows it. She's a native. She grew up there and she has a perspective that is so, so different. She's done a ton of research for this book. And um, it's it's like an introduction. It's like having a guide. It's like she's like, hey, uh, I'm Sarah Broom and I'm gonna take you through not just my family's history, but like how New Orleans ended up being where it is today. If, if, you, if you want to have a, a thinker, a book to chew on, not like, not like my son chews on books, but in a, in a much more um, intellectual way. Mm. If you want to, mm-hmm. if you want to have to come back to this in your mind, it's like, it's not a long book, but it is a book that stays with you. Um, it's like an everlasting gobstopper. It just, you can keep, <laughs> you can keep suckling on it and suckling on it. And sooner or later, sooner or later you'll, you'll get through it, but it, it's, it takes a while. It, um, it's, <laughs> It's good value. Did you know the center? Did you know they did a test to get to the center of a tizzy pop? Oh, how no. many? Did yeah. they with that with that owl? They did. Yeah, they uh, they tied down an owl, oh. <laughs> and they finally oh, did it proper. And they, yep, uh, three hundred sixty four. That's how long. Really, yeah. just licks. Yeah. So next time you go to one of your parties, or maybe one of your students comes up to you and says, "Don't I look drippy with my ranch sandwich?" You can just tell mm-hmm. them a fun fact. That's a great fun fact. Three six four. Three hundred three hundred. That shuts the drip down real fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One okay. more thing, and then I'm done. All right. So she she lives a lot of places. She lives in in Harlem and the French Quarter and uh, the African nation of Burundi, and obviously she lives in New Orleans East. Um, she brings all of this to life really, really effectively. One of the most vivid parts of this is um, after she's kind of, as she's wrapping up her time in Burundi, she gets a call from um, somebody associated with Ray Nagin's office. Ray Nagin was the mayor of New Orleans during and after Katrina. And basically they say, hey, we know, we, we know of you. We know you're uh, a, a New Orleans native. We know you're a journalist. We would like you to come and work for Nagin as a speechwriter. And Nagin, I don't know how much you guys know about New Orleans politics, but he was he was a firebrand. He really he was focused on his own reputation. Um a lot of times like he he thought people were going to shoot him or like attack his family. You know, he thought they were going to attack his family. And so he like live on various public media, he would say like if you come after my family, I'll shoot I'll shoot you. Um he goes he goes wow. off script. He has some. A, he has some things yeah, he says that are just like, like way, like way, and 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 she talks about how basically most of she was supposed to be writing speeches. The most of her job was paying attention to what Wayne Nagin was saying, and then doing damage control. Um, so 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 we get this picture of this extreme guy. Like he is he is out there. He's a firebrand. Um, but she, this is kind of exemplary of of how she approaches it. He is essential to. To New Orleans, to 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 understanding New Orleans and, and to the way that the city ha- kind of 
um, existed in the world, especially just after Katrina. And so she doesn't like take this opportunity to say, this is trash. This is bad. He was a, he was a misogynist. He was a, he was violent. She says, she, she recounts what he says, she recounts what he does, but she's not telling us what to feel. She's not holding our hand. She says, here's what he did. Form your own opinion, make up your own mind. And I think there are different, different, different answers to kind of what she puts forward. But this is the whole book. She's, she doesn't say New Orleans East is a hellhole and I'm so glad I got out of there and it should be burned to the ground and fixed. And she doesn't say it was beautiful and perfect. There are little problems like a few mosquitoes, but it was fine. She's like, no, here's what it was. Here was my life. Here was my family. Here was my yellow house. It was broken and it was home. Ian, you lose. Um, your book sounds wonderful. It's a great reason to lose. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's no real losers here. Um, no. I assume that the books that you guys bring are of high quality um, and deserve to win. Uh, Nick, you should not always assume that. <laughs> Just because they deserve to win doesn't mean they will. Man, that's, that <laughs> is a, that's a lesson for life right there, Leadheads. <laughs> uh, Ian, your book sounds lovely. Uh-huh. And I am interested in it. Lidheads, if you want to experience a balance of joy and wistful sorrow, <laughs> head on over to our social media at You Don't Know Lit on, um, is it You Don't Know Lit or You Don't Know Lit podcast? It's at, it's at You Don't Know Lit on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We're also not on Parlor anymore because they banned us for mm, no too much mm, content. Too radical. Too, we're too radical yeah. for parlor. Too, um, too drippy. You can, you can, we're too drippy for parlor. You can, you can like us over there. You can follow along with all of our robust social media posting calendar. Um, mm-hmm. Almost every week. You can also head to you don't know podcast.com to suggest <laughs> a book or a theme. Um, I've been getting a lot of themes from friends and they think that they can just say the theme to me and, and then that's not how no, it works. I love you guys, that. but go to the website and submit them there. That's where it's, you'll find it. Uh, the last thing I'll say is you can um, head on over to the iTunes store and uh, give us a five-star rating there. We are currently at a perfect 32 for 32 on five-star ratings. Um, so keep those coming. Oof. Ian. I don't think Ian. any trolls listen to this show. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and I want to, uh, this, this week, I want to offer congratulations to Joe. And I want to offer congratulations as well to depression and irrationality. Uh, My quote's from very early in the book. It describes what George Packer's talking about when he talks about the unwinding. He says, If you were born around 1960 or afterward, you have spent your adult life in the vertigo of the unwinding. You watch structures that have been in place since before your birth collapse like pillars of salt across the vast visible landscape. The farms of the Carolina Piedmont, the factories of the Mahong Valley, Florida subdivisions, California schools, and other things harder to see but no less vital in supporting the order of everyday life, changed beyond recognition, ways and means in Washington caucus rooms, taboos on New York trading desks, manners and morals everywhere. When are the norms that made the old institutions useful begin to unwind? When the norms that made the old institutions useful begin to unwind and the leaders abandoned their posts, the Roosevelt public that had reigned for almost a half century came undone. The void was filled by the default force in American life. 
organized money. Thank you.